Welcome to the Underhand Free Throw. It's a basketball podcast with Ian and Simon. I'm Ian. And I'm Simon. It is Tuesday, December 20th. I feel like it's extra important these days with basketball podcasts in this season to definitely say the date because unlike any season in recent memory, the standings and the offensive and defensive ratings and any kind of ranking can change so violently like day to day that uh, you might be saying something completely irrelevant and people are going to be, you know, a little bit uh, clueless why you're so excited about you know how the new orleans pelicans are the best team in the world you know like a couple seconds go by and they've dropped a fourth and standings and things like that just don't make any sense anymore yeah we're kind of in constant flux um hopefully some of that will start to even out as the season goes on but at the same time i keep saying that and it hasn't happened yet so who knows maybe we'll just have a bunch of teams that are kind of in the middle um it, it's a bit of like like an nfl type season where you have a bunch of teams that are you know a couple at the top couple at the bottom most of the field is in the middle of the pack. Yeah. And like to be that. honest, I'd be okay with that. It means anyone can beat anyone on any given night, which makes yeah. for exciting games. Yeah. We always want parody. And then when we get it, our brains are, are just so confused. Like, do you think, why can't we let go of the importance of standings when all the teams are so close together? Like why are our brains forcing us to process information in this way where it's like, well, my favorite team has the two seed right now so they're the second best team in the nba like despite the fact that they're half a game up on like five other teams and just like one game could tumble them to six sort of thing yeah i think it's just like the human psychology of how we react when our expectations are either met or not met um Mm. you know so like we go into the season like a lot of people have been disappointed with the mavericks so far this year and they've been about a 500 team so far and you know a lot of their players aren't playing well and with the way the standings are looking like it's absolutely possible they could turn around and play better and finish as a top six seed. Like it's not beyond the pale. Right. But a lot of us came into the season, not me specifically, but a lot of people came into the season thinking the Mavericks should take a leap from last year yeah, or at least be as good as they were last year. And since they're not, they don't immediately appear to be right off the bat. Um, I think it's, it's easy to emotionally react to that new reality. Yeah, and then teams will just randomly go on 10-game winning streaks or something like that, or five-game winning streaks. And with the standings this close together, all of a sudden, like, you know, the Mavericks could be in the three seed after a successful month. Actually, I remember looking at the Mavericks, maybe one of the last times we were talking about them on the pod, and realizing that they were actually going to continue to struggle up until this point, looking at their schedule going forward. Like, they had a ton of Mm back-to-backs. They had, like, they had two back-to-backs back-to-back at one point. Like, they got two days off in between, but, like, they just had a lot of scheduled L's on their calendar. But for Mavericks fans or people curious about the Mavericks, now is around the time where they're supposed to start being successful. So if this team is is good, like I think they are, and some other people think they are, like they play Minnesota tomorrow, then Houston, then the Lakers, then the Knicks, then like the uh, Houston again, uh, and then the Spurs, and then they get a ton of time off and they play Houston again, and they've got no back-to-backs during that time. So I think looking at their schedule, especially like with how close a lot of these games have been together, like they've won, they've lost, they've lost two backs, back-to-backs, both the games. And that's four losses right there. That matters. Um, 
at this point in the season, but they get a friendly schedule for the for the rest of December and going into January. So if the Mavericks are for real, we'll find out. But that's not what we're here to talk about, is it, Simon? No, we are here to talk about All-Star because uh, after Christmas Day, the All-Star voting will open. This year, there's going to be no social media voting. The NBA just recently announced that, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, they don't want another Andrew Wiggins starter situation yeah. going on this year. Um, so it will be exclusively voting through NBA.com and, you know, through some NBA curated means. Yeah. There's uh, a, yeah, there's a, we'll be able to. There's probably sorry, a Twitter, Twitter distrust there as well, factoring into it. Like it's, you know, it's yeah. sometimes uh, Elon Musk and Andrew Wiggins join together <laughs> to change the way the NBA functions. And, and, and something like that is happening right now. Yeah, I will say it got to the point where it was pretty easy to vote, um, even if even for people who didn't necessarily care or follow the NBA yeah. at all. You just like click a retweet on a tweet that pops up, you know, because someone that you're following happens to be an NBA fan and it's easy enough to click that button. So I, I have no doubt that the voting was skewed somewhat uh, among maybe NBA fans who weren't really all that invested in who is receiving an all-star selection. Yeah, we might not be up on our on our K-pop knowledge and 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 how that works, but uh, but everyone's heard that story at this point. So I think this is a, the yeah. funny thing about that with Andrew Wiggins making the All Star team last year, and then going on to like you know validate it a little bit with it with a title run and playing so well in that title run, and you know being in some people's minds the second best player on a title team for all the Draymond haters out there. I think this kind of segues into the next thing we want to talk about because I see a lot of people being like Andrew Wiggins is an All Star this year because he was an All Star last year and now he has gotten mm -hmm. better so how can you take that away from him so we're going to talk a little bit about our criteria and criteria in general for how we made our our all-star picks um and you know one thing that i think about it as i listen to other people make their picks or read about who's complaining about it there really is like constantly shifting goalposts for you know what what we value in an all-star what we think makes an all-star and i think it is important yeah. that despite all the data we have like it is more of an art than a science just hopefully you're you're using the data to inform yourself a little bit but you're also like which players have captured your ima imagination or which players sort of like fit your value so in terms of like just to start us off on that like how do you weigh winning versus sort of like statistical proof that this player is good this year well with a lot of the players we're looking at this year, it tends to go hand in hand. There's not very many players that are dominating statistically who aren't on teams that are at least in the playoff hunt. Um, there are a couple, and we'll get to one guy specifically in the Eastern Conference later when we talk about our Eastern picks. Mm -hmm. um, but for me personally, I, um, I'm i looking at the individual player performance as by far the this season, I should clarify, uh, what they have done up to this point as by far the most important factor weighing into all-star selection and then i like to think of um, games missed due to injury or something like you know the team overall struggling as these ancillary factors that can more serve as tiebreakers um, but they're not going to weigh heavily into my decision yeah i mean winning even as i said winning winning versus stats i was like those things don't you they aren't entirely separate they do feed into each other the players who are really good and you know piling up uh meaningful statistical accomplishments to um do tend to be on on teams that are um not in the basement of either conference you know just quick spoiler alert there's not going to be any rockets that i seriously considered in this um there's yeah. not going to be 
Uh, that's actually that's the only team of which I didn't consider a single player, and and, and I looked at it, and oh, I think okay, interesting. The, I think when some people think about stats versus winning, they'll see someone like they'll look at um, Jalen Green on the Rockets and be like, well, he's putting up All Star numbers, like you know, he's putting up twenty one points per game, like like that. That's those are All Star numbers, but like unless you're going to actually sort of dig into how good a player's numbers are, unless you're going to actually look at sort of their efficiency and um, like, and understand their defense and all these things, you're not, it's some people think that people have all-star numbers when they don't, when it's obvious to like someone who's yeah. actually doing the sort of research there. Yeah. You don't even need to dive into winning. Like with Jalen green, you, there's other things that you can pick at beyond team record that would, um, I guess, put him down a level versus players who are putting up similar statistics on winning teams. I mean, they're better defensively. They have better efficiency. Yeah. Um, you know, they do other things on the court. You don't need to even talk about team record in that case. Yeah. So all, re- all respect to Alper and Shangun and Jalen Green. I think you, I think you guys are great, but um, many, hopefully many all-stars in your future, but no consideration for me uh, this year on that. I'll be honest. I didn't consider any Pistons from my from my court or any spurs so i went a little bit further than you did with the uh the players not receiving consideration i got one piston and one spur and they're definitely like you know they're they're deep cuts they're they're way yeah. down at the bottom of the list you know yeah sort of looking at them and from the games i've seen from this year i think they at least deserved a little honorable mention and i guess you know talking about how many how many players made your like long list how many players were you considering for an all-star spot this year in either conference or both. Well, I filled out both all-star teams and then the players that were, you know, kind of below that, but in consideration, I had about 10 additional guys. Um, and that's not to say I only looked at, I, I guess that'd be 22 players of each conference. I, I looked at more than that, but um, in terms of guys I actually put on a list and tried to like figure out where they slot, um, yeah. it came down to about 10 players that I was seriously considering, but did not make the list. Yeah. I got 39 guys in the Eastern Conference and 32 players in the Western Conference. You know, so maybe that's a long list, but, I, you know, looking at a lot of these players, I'm like, they they at least deserve to be thought about in terms of, even even if yeah. it's a quick no, you know, they're not going to get in that list. And I sort of like, you know, had four sort of tiers and maybe it's, maybe you'd argue some of those people in that fourth tier aren't getting all-star consideration but i considered yeah. them so that's that's what all-star consideration is yeah consideration doesn't mean like i am on the brink of picking this player yeah um, it just means like uh there's a world in which i could see this person being like the fifth option as an injury pl- replacement or something yeah and some of them are some of them are really like really sneaky some of them are more obvious right like paulo Boncaro, i don't think people are going to be upset with the idea of him getting all-star consideration um but yeah. a lot of other players are having sneaky good seasons like you know i think kyle kuzma is is really deep on my list mm-hmm. um wendell carter jr in orlando has been an excellent two-way player there and now that they're starting to win games like you can actually consider some orlando players for your all-star thing and that same goes for franz wagner mentioned three magic players already that's that's how hot they are right now and then you know, guys putting up big, big scoring seasons or, and then some injury, like Tyrese Maxey and Bradley Peel have missed a lot of games, but look like, you know, played some really good basketball whenever they do play. Sneakily, Kyle Lowry is like leading the Miami Heat in, in minutes per game, which seems like insane to me and doing all his <laughs> Kyle Lowry things, which means like all the advanced stats are like, you know, throwing a, throwing, a, cr- cracking open champagne every single time he plays because the advanced stats love the little things Kyle Lowry does. But the Detroit Piston yeah. I had, 
and the spur I have are Boyan Bogdanovich and Devin Vassell. And I think Boyan's defense oh, yeah. is so bad, kind of whatever, knock him out there. But they're both just they're both shooting the ball super well and are basically the offensive engines of everything that's going on. Almost in kind of sneakily mm. similar roles. They're very different players, but they're both sort of like outside in players who are shooting the ball really well and sort of like um, not making too many mistakes. Yeah, I guess I I did take like a really brief look at Boyan, maybe more so of a glance than a look. A glance, yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. He's in the glance he, category. I got Terry Rozier getting a glance too, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, he's he's been having a pretty awesome offensive season. Yeah. Well, since since we've mentioned a couple of guys from the East, do you want to go over our Eastern Conference picks first, and then we'll yeah. talk about the West later on? Yeah, let's let's do it. Who are your Eastern Conference starters? I'm also going to say right off the bat with this criteria thing that I have cheated a little bit on positions. I just like, I will say that a player that is definitely not one position is for the sake of all-stars. So you can all drag me for that. We'll see how lenient the NBA is with that with, is with that, like, you know, criteria this year. Cause they've had years in the past where they've been pretty stringent about it, but um, I mean, they opened it up where it's now just backcourt and frontcourt players, right? There's no, yeah, no center nonsense anymore. So you don't really have to worry about, Oh, like there's three awesome power forwards in a conference, but no awesome center, you know, like that's yeah. a thing of the past, which yeah, I think but, was a good decision, but we're still stuck because I think the four best players in the Eastern conference are all frontcourt players. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you how I dealt with it. I'll name mm -hmm. my my five starters and we can see if you have the the same five guys or maybe four out of the five and an additional forward. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll uh, we'll go from there. OK, so for my stars in the East conference, I have uh, Donovan Mitchell and Tyrese Halberton in the backcourt. Mm -hmm. And then in the front court, I have Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, no surprises there. So and. To be clear, if I did include two guards or if um if someone's gonna, you know, tie me down and force me to list a guard, I think that Tyrese Halliburton also is my pick. I think if Indiana continues to fade or if um if Tyrese Halliburton goes through a slump, I do think that the other guard who sneakily has a really strong case is Jeru Holiday. Um mm -hmm. but I like it's hard, you know, that's not someone who's going to get voted in that's for sure well that's one other thing about criteria actually before i respond to your Eastern conference picks like these are our lists we don't have to respect things like who will get voted in or who the coaches definitely will pick because of reputation for that like i yeah. I, I see that in a lot of discourses like well you can say that like you cannot vote lebron in for example but you know lebron's gonna go in like yeah maybe yeah he probably will but uh then in, in this fantasy world where our opinion matters on this like we get to pick whoever we want we do um i will say with mine i tried to project out a little bit over yeah. the next you know month and a half until we actually have the all-star game so that well it definitely swayed my picks in the western conference but we'll get to that when we when we get there wait say, say your front court guys again i need to figure out which front court guy that i added that you do not have your three front court picks are yeah, I have Tatum, Durant, and Antetokounmpo. Okay, so no Joel Embiid. So basically, I have Joel Embiid yep. there instead of Tyrese Halliburton, and that's the only difference. I just think that those five guys, digging into their statistical impact and watching them play, like those are the five guys that are just like you know playing MVP level basketball. Now you could argue Embiid is uh, 
you know, he's, he's missed a few more games, right? Like Embiid's played 21 yeah. games, which is like, that's getting kind of close to the disqualifier. So I don't mind seeing Halliburton there at all. And obviously it fits within how you have to have two guards on the team. And what am I here arguing mm-hmm. that Jason Tatum is, is a guard? He's been playing like power forward all season. I'm like, kind of a guard though. He dribbles the basketball. I would say out of the four, um, Kevin Durant probably is the strongest case for a guard. He he did play shooting guard briefly as a rookie. Um, that hasn't <laughs> been the case since then. But, yeah, you know, he is a perimeter player that handles the ball a lot. Uh, yeah. So the other players that came. So we have almost the, it's, it's Halliburton versus Embiid for this spot. And again, you can discount that my vote doesn't make any sense. But that's that's yeah. And I'm if going, I'm if I'm picking who the more talent. If I'm picking who the more talented basketball player is, it's definitely Embiid. Halliburton's just in there to fulfill the requirements of the having the two guards in the backcourt. Yeah. And I think it gets. I think there's a there's like five like there's these five incredible players in the East this year, and then there's a bit of a a bit of a, a drop off to the next tier of the guys that we're all about to talk about. That Halliburton is definitely in and near the top of, and I think he's also just the logical pick with sort of like his health and the early like the unexpected hype of Indiana. I think narratively, this is a very big breakout season for Halliburton, and that always like. Mm-hmm. feels exciting to put to celebrate that with like an all-star pick. I mean, he's making the team regardless. Uh, let's get into the Eastern Conference bench players. Well, oh, one, one thing I will thing. say really quickly yeah. about Halliburton is yeah. um, with Chris Paul's um, decline this season mm-hmm. and, you know, LeBron James kind of declining a bit due to age. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that Halliburton is, is maybe the best pure point guard in the NBA at this point um, mm-hmm. for people who still care about like that type of criteria or, you know, that type of like strict definition of a player archetype, but like no one is playmaking at the level that um, Tyrese Halberton is right now. Like I would even put him over hmm. Trey Young and, and James Harden who are having, you know, similarly awesome seasons. Um, some, some other names I'd put into the pure playmaking category um Darius Garland who I think is a player that yeah. um we'll have to talk about in some capacity in this podcast and then you know Luca and like Luca and Jokic yeah the, that's true those are the two best playmakers in the NBA sorry Tyrese Halliburton the one you know a weird thing about I don't know how, how many Indiana games you've watched this game but like Tyrese Halliburton has a very funny style of playmaking where I don't think I've ever seen such an effective passer throw so many of his passes by by picking up his dribble and going into a two-handed overhead pass like, yeah. he, like when we think of live dribble creators, that's, you know, it's because they're creating off the dribble. But one of his favorite passes is to like, he's got this almost hesitation into a picking up of his dribble and then going into the overhead pass where it's almost kind of like a, it's a big man move. Like you picture like Jokic obviously does that a lot and you wouldn't think about it, but, but Tyrese Halliburton has this, always had this very unorthodox style, which is one of the reasons he's one of the most fun players to watch in the NBA, weird shooting style, weird passing style, no doubt. They're both mm-hmm. extremely effective. Yeah. And it's been fun just to watch him emerge this season and, and, Kind of, uh, he he scores too much to be cla- like classified as a pure point guard. But I don't know, like with Chris Paul aging, kind of probably close to retirement at this point, like we don't really have a point guard in the traditional sense in the NBA anymore. Um, and I think Tyrese is probably as, as close. Darius as well, I think is another argument for that. But, yeah. you know, there's there's not a lot of these guys left. Yeah. All, all the other players we mentioned are, are are too weird to fit that archetype. Did you give Chris Paul any all-star consideration? Yes. Not yeah. um 
spoiler alert he's he did not make the team but yeah yeah you gotta you gotta throw him in the mix you know he's he's been an all-star 15 times or whatever at this point yeah he's he's really good i was i had him really far down my list and as i sort of um you know did some all-star relevant research i was surprised at how how far he rose he rose up like i was also i i, I thought that he missed more games than he did like he's still like mm-hmm. he's still definitely in that in like injury category of maybe you haven't played enough games but i thought he was like he, I think he's played 17 games now, so he's starting yeah. to get in there. Is not he's played over though. over half the Suns' games, not by a wide margin. Yeah. But yeah, he he gets in there. Yeah. So who's I don't know. Would you rank who who else is like a who else is a lock for you who's not a starter? I'm assuming. I'm, well, well you let's, go, let's go. Over our, uh, let's go over our let's go over our reserves first. Yeah. But um, I mean, that's like I'll starting talk. with the lock reserves. You know what I mean? Like, yes. like, because okay. I think we'll have some, I'll I'll get into a little bit, like a group of players that I've got 15, 15 players for 12 spots. No, it's it's hard to narrow them down at the end, especially like, I think with the, the wild card spots was probably the biggest thing um, for me, especially, but I'll, I'll say for my second platoon, right? Mm-hmm. So these are the two guards and three forwards off the bench. I had um, Trey Young, Pascal Siakam, Jalen Brown, Joel Embiid, and uh, probably the controversial one, I had James Harden. Yeah, James Harden. I, I mean, everything I just said about Chris Paul applies doubly to James Harden. I was surprised by how, as I was comparing these players head to head, just like, well, I can't argue this guy's better than James Harden. I can't argue this guy's better than James Harden. He James Harden has played 15, 15 games. Um, so he's going to need to stay very healthy to to qualify for it. But then, you know, sometimes the coaches don't care if he's healthy right now. They just they're going to they're going to vote him in. But for me to feel good about it, I'd like to see him, you know, sort of play healthy for the rest of the time before the All-Stars are named. So the, so you said you have Pascal Siakam, you mm-hmm. have Joel Embiid. Who's your third front court guy? Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. And then your two guards are Harden and Trey Young. And Trey Young. All right, we've got some we've got some different picks here. I, I figured we would. So Harden and Trey Young are are difficult, right? Because well, with Harden, I think injury has been the biggest thing. He's missed half of the season so far, and he's been pretty horrifically bad uh, defensively yeah. when he's been on the floor. And it, it's a similar story with Trey Young. But both of them are still offensively dynamic, um, even in their like reduced state where Trey Young hasn't been shooting very well this year. Um, and the offense has never looked more stagnant in Atlanta. But it remains the case that the team is still just significantly better with Trey Young on the floor. Um, and the production is there even though the efficiency isn't. So that's that's why he gets the nod over players who I stylistically enjoy more. Um, there are no doubt other guards in the Eastern Conference that like I personally prefer their style of play. I think it would be more effective to like build a championship team around. But ultimately, yeah. like for me, an all-star pick is a performance award based on the current season. And for that reason, I think James Harden and Trey Young just make a bigger impact, argue with their style of play or the or the team's, you know, decision to like allow them to run the offense in the way that they do all you yeah. want but um i do think they are more impactful when they're on the, on the floor just due to like how dynamic they are creating plays for themselves and others yeah no question so i don't have either neither yeah. of them well one of them i'm going to talk about a little bit more because i've got some at the end of each of these conferences i've got some i still have some decision making to do but my uh but at least these next five players are locked my two guards are tyrese halliburton and Drew holiday mm-hmm. i think Drew holiday has sneaky had a massive impact season um you know in terms of his like on off he's in like the 94th 
percentile of the league. I always used uh, dunks and threes estimated plus minus as kind of my favorite little catch-all statistic that considers the most things and actually seems to have a, a defensive catch-all stat that isn't completely busted and makes no sense. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, Drew I mean, Hall- n- none of them make sense without the right context. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah D- I- defensive stats are, I don't want to say garbage, but they're very, they're, they're, they're difficult to use and, and you need to understand yeah. what they are. But the one that is the least wonky, I find, is um, defensive estimated plus minus from dunks and threes. Um, yeah, their EPM stats, really good. Even like after I sort of made the list of players I liked, I went in sort of like to sort of get an idea of how they were statistically stacking up. I used dunks and threes and, and it kind of lined up with what I was seeing. So that's why I like it, because it says that I'm right. Um, <laughs> confirmation bias site. Um, but yeah, so I had Halliburton and Holiday in the backcourt. I just think the, the 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 defensive the defense there needs to be considered. Milwaukee has been uh, a lot better than these other teams we're discussing, um, despite yep. Chris Middleton being out a ton. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of good defensive players in in Milwaukee, but you know, Jeru Holiday is a huge part of that. He's widely accepted by a lot of fans as like arguably the best defensive guard in the NBA. Um, and he's having a, like a, a very strong offensive season as well. He's doing like, he, he's, he's yeah. doing his job out there. And when I think of some of the drawbacks that Harden and Trey bring to the floor, I, I just felt kind of comfortable boosting above them. If, if Harden had played 25 games, I um, maybe it would be a little bit more difficult for me, but I, I thought that Holiday deserved it now i also have jalen brown and pascal siakam i think that they're locks sort of for very different reasons um brown is having a great season on like a historically dominant offense and he's you know one of the one of the big drivers of that um and then pascal siakam even though the raptors are struggling pascal siakam has just had the best all-around season in the nba like he's just he's a he looks like a superstar out there his defense has been the best it's been in years. We've talked about him a little bit, at least before he got injured, but he came back and didn't really skip a beat. He's just, he's piling up points, rebounds, assists. Uh, he's shooting, the, he's unstoppable in the middle of the floor. Uh, he's really driving a lot of the offensive, what minimal offensive success Toronto has. Um, and, you know, in past years, uh, kind of like from from a statistic standpoint, there's a lot of like division on Siakam. Like sometimes he looked better, but some stats sort of didn't like him. And and this season, like it's sort of just unanimous across the board. He looks great. The eye test says he's great. The numbers say he's great. And um, I think he's a yeah a, a all star lock. Oh, my last guy is Jimmy Butler. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, my other yeah. front court player. Who maybe I have to move to guard to make things work if I have to put Tyrese Halliburton in the starting lineup and bump Joel Embiid down or Durant down? I, I think that'll work. Um, did you did you settle on your wild cards yet for the Eastern Conference or is that still in flux? So I've got three guys for for um, I've got three guys for two spots. Um, okay. So I'll be interested to see who your guys are or, or, you know, if you can talk me out of anyone, I'll, I will say the the toughest, the two last cuts I have that aren't in this consideration are Brooke Lopez, just, you know, like possibly yeah. the defensive player of the year thus far. And also just finally kind of actually shooting the ball well and playing elite defense at the same time. Like he's just kind of in a lot of ways, he's having his best season ever, like in terms of just sort of putting it all together. Um, and Chris Stapps Porzingis is another late cut when I was just sort of, looking into it. I like, like Washington has fallen off, but Chris Porzingis has been anchoring their defense and has like 
Loke, you know, been their best offensive player as well, especially with Bradley Beal missing so much time when I was kind of digging around and both watching footage and, and, and reading their stats. It's like, you know, I mentioned Kyle Kuzma either. Uh, sorry, I mentioned him earlier, but Porzingis mm -hmm. uh, deserves some serious consideration for what he's doing down in Washington. So that brings me to my the last three guys for these last two spots are Trey Young, Darius okay. Garland, and okay. OG Ananobi. Yeah, I I really like um, the OG pick there. Or I guess he's kind of on teetering on the edge, right? Whether he's actually going to be on yeah. the team or not. And he has been struggling with injury lately. I came back last night. The Raptors had completely fallen apart as a defense in the four games he missed. Their defensive rating was in the 120s. Came back, they immediately hold uh, Philly to a, a 101 offensive rating. And going down the stretch, he was guarding Joel Embiid. And in crunch time, he contested Embiid's shot to force a miss twice. And then they decided to, to, to change to a James Harden pick and roll. OG switched onto James Harden and just absolutely suffocated him. And I've never seen like someone lock yeah. down two kinds of players like so successfully in such a short period of time and the Raptors were about to like I mean they did go on to lose that game in overtime but the Raptors looked down and out they needed like stops and they and OG Ananobi heroically pulled out three of them he's also like you know obviously he's in my mind he would make this team on the back of his defense but he's also low-key having a pretty strong offensive season he's averaging yeah, he is. Yeah. 18 points per game he's he's shooting the ball well enough like uh he's not a playmaker by any stretch of, of the imagination but like he's also scoring a ton in transition um and he's a yeah, very like dependable shooter he's i mean it's, it's it's up and down but like you know at this point he's a solid uh shooter and he also can play a little bully ball against some matchups so it's not like he's just a defensive specialist is getting here on defense he's I, he's in my top three for defensive player of the year and he's averaging an efficient 18 points 19 points per game yeah i mean it's it's hard not to consider like the overall two-way impact especially because like a lot of these guys especially the guards in the eastern conference um the defensive side of the ball is is not typically their strong suits uh with the yeah. exception of of drew holiday who is one of my last two um my last two picks i kind of i saved my wild card picks for guys that i personally like really like yeah um as we are allowed and... to it's our list leave <laughs> us alone yeah exactly and like they may not have like the obvious all-star numbers um but i do think they have all-star impact and and probably greater impact um than guys who are necessarily like scoring more than them or handling the ball more than them um yeah. so drew holiday is one for some reason i thought he was having the best offensive season of his career but that was actually last year and uh he's been solid this year but it's been a slight drop off which which makes sense because i think the overall team has struggled a bit offensively due to chris middleton missing so much time and then really taking time to get back up to speed as he's returned yeah um so he was one and the other one um i did not have jimmy butler uh jimmy butler was a strong consideration for this spot but i actually have his oh. his teammates uh bam Adebayo. Mm, I didn't even see Bam's not on my list at all. I mean, he's on my list. He's a, he, but he's didn't even make that kind of last number of cuts. I, I'm down to have a quick Bam discussion. Cause um, one thing that yeah. I, that Bam has been really disappointing for me, obviously he's still one of the better defensive players in the NBA. And it's like, mm. maybe not getting enough credit for that this year as um, you know, Miami's kind of gone from elite to just sort of like, you know, borderline top 10. Um, he's asked to cover so many holes on defense. Yeah. Like, you know, they're like, yeah, we're going to play like a like a bunch of 30 year olds and Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. And we and and guess what? You're not going to get another 
like everyone is going to be under six, seven, except for you. Um, and you're just gonna have to do everything. You're going to have to like switch out on the perimeter and shut down point guards and be our backline rim protector. Like they are, they are running him ragged defensively, asking him to do everything. I do think that offensively, I'm a little disappointed in, in Bam this season. I know he's putting up like, you know, like the scoring and rebounding numbers look good and they're definitely sort of all-star numbers, but like he's completely stopped being any kind of a, any kind of a passer. Like I remember like two years ago, he was this playmaking hub uh, Mm -hmm. for them, you know, getting the ball in the high post and, and, and that's just completely dried up. Like he's, he's turning the ball over more than he ever has before. And, and, you know, posting his lowest assist rate in years. Um, Like, you know, he's basically neutral as a, as a, as a playmaker this season, which was where I thought always thought he was getting a lot of his offensive value from. And then as a, as a shooter, he's really stagnated as, as well. Like it looked for a while, like he was going to start at least he, he extended out to like long twos a couple of years ago and, and tried a couple threes. Like, and it looked like, Oh, eventually you're going to be able to at least pick a pop, pick and pop a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. But since then that's just sort of like, you know, dried up more and more every year. So he's this sort of like, unimpressive just you know like finisher and around the rim score and the playmaking's gone and uh, you know he he's still he's averaging 20 points per game but it's it doesn't it, it it feels off it's also at least just efficient overall year in a long time yeah i think for me the big thing has been um bam has missed out bam has been one of the best defensive players in the year for in the league for years now yeah um and, and he's missed out on some of those accolades by virtue of injury um, and this is the first year really since like, you know, very early on in his career as rookie and second year where he's been overall healthy, at least so far. Yeah. And um, I think out of the two, it was really Jimmy Butler or Bam, uh, mm-hmm. I think were the the two I was considering most strongly for this spot. Um, and by the on-off numbers, but or Bam is a greater impact on, on the team's success. I mean, and part of that is due to like how like Omer your seven plays when he gets in the game. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. due to bam himself um but i do i do think we're at the point of jimmy butler's career now where he's firmly like a postseason player and he'll he'll be pretty good in the regular season but he's going to miss about a third of the games um he's not a two-way menace in the regular season yeah i mean he still gets the line he still puts up point production but like we're not getting peak jimmy butler um whereas we are getting i hesitate to say peak bam out of bio because he has had some monster games in the playoffs but like we are seen bam's best night in and night out um so i think that the injuries and like kind of the on-off difference between the two made me lean a little bit more bam i bio in, in what was like a pretty close race yeah and i mean i think especially if you if you want to really lean on the defensive side of that argument i think that it it's absolutely silly to say that bam doesn't deserve a spot on the all-star team on on regardless of what I just said about his offense, like his defense alone, I can't prop up OG and Anobi and ignore what, what Bam is doing. So I think that's a good pick. Mm-hmm. I think um, I like, you know, in terms of, again, like expanding deeper into the sort of like the numbers, I know that like the, just the like regular on off gives a nod to Bam a little bit for the exact reason you described, but you know, when they, with, with estimated plus minus Jimmy Butler's like still a top 10 player in the NBA and, and Bam is like not having that impressive of a season like he's bam is somehow butler's taking despite you know not really taking threes anymore he's he's averaging less shots than bam and more points he is um he's their play he's the be all end all of their offense when he's out there because kyle lowry just kind of decides most of the time that he doesn't want to shoot and 
I also, like you said earlier, you you were kind of built like projecting out with some of these picks. And I think that, yeah, Jimmy Butler is likely like maybe he only plays 50 games this season. That's been sort of par for the course. But right now he's played eight less games than Bam. Uh, if he went down with another injury tomorrow or missed another three games, I think that I'd start kind of disqualifying him. But at this point in the season, he's played 20 He's, he's, he's comfortably there enough for me. And I just think that he's, he's just such a better player than Bam offensively. While as much as you say that he's not a two-way menace, and I agree, I think that they've been, for, because of the way they built out the roster, they've been forced to make Jimmy Butler play a lot more defense than they have in the past three seasons because there's no PJ Tucker anymore. Like Caleb Martin is their like other forward. Like they're just really small. Jimmy Butler has yeah. to... Like he's got to, he's got to help out like protecting the rim sometimes. Like he's got to do his work on the back line as like, a, you know, just like as a sneaky crafty player, he's got to guard the, like the guys that are too big for Caleb Martin. Um, they're asking him to do a lot more. That's probably why he's likely to like, you know, break down and they're going to have to shut him down if they want to keep him fresh for the playoffs. But up at this season, the mark, I go Butler over Bam, but I think that's, I th- I mean, I think your, your, I think your argument is, is, is fine and strong for that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't and part of it is film. and part of it is hard not to be a little bit biased against Butler just because like we know he's going to go up a level yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah. Um and yet we're trying to decide on a regular season reward which isn't supposed yeah. to be shaped by our projection of how he's going to perform in the playoffs because that isn't like relevant. I, yeah, and I agree with that. It's just that I think Butler has just been playing that well in the regular season. Especially compared to the last couple of seasons, it feels like he's he's stepped up his workload so far. Can he keep that up? That remains to be seen, but uh, yeah, at the early part of the season, I feel like Butler has been doing his job and is an all-star and is like, yeah, low key, just one of these, like, like you say, he's like kind of a top 10 player in the NBA when it matters, but he doesn't always doing it. I just think he's been doing it th- thus far in the season. So you got, you got, okay. Butler. Uh, you got Bam. I got Butler. Yep. Little lost in the weeds. Now who's your other wild card? Oh, that was uh, Drew Holiday. Okay, you got Drew in there. So your list is done. So I've got to decide between... We've already talked about OG. I've got to decide between OG, Garland, and Trey. You already have Trey Young in there. I'll go on a little anti-Trey run. I'm 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 ready for it. I've been a Trey Young fan. I've been putting him in the All-Star team for years. I just think that this year, he's not doing the Trey Young things that we're like just... We assume he's doing them because he's putting up... 27 points per game and 10 assists. Those are just like obscene numbers. But we also all know that his shooting struggles this year, they haven't gone away. He had one huge game recently, but aside that, like he's been, he's been shooting under 30% from three despite taking seven attempts per game. This guy takes up a monster part of the offense. Like like he's like, he's the, he's the whole offensive system there. And he is not delivering the playmaking's there. The playmaking has always been good though. I do think, it's been a bit stagnant this year and has looked a little, I've been a little bit less impressed by Trey as a passer than I have in years past, despite the assist numbers. I kind of blame Nate McMillan for the sort of like really awkward having uh, Deontay Murray and Trey Young basically just take turns and get out of the way. It kind of looks like Russell Westbrook and James Harden in, in Houston those years ago or something. Like it's like, can well, the other guy one not participate? I don't really understand. Like I, you I think some clear evidence of that is like how John Collins, who's their most like dynamic attacker of the rim uh, off ball is just been relegated to like go stand in the corner mode. (laughs) Yeah. 
So yeah, why, I mean, yeah. they yes. just don't let John Collins play basketball. Like they, it's like it's he's he's I, I feel bad for John Collins. They 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 reduce his role role every year. This guy was putting up twenty and ten, and has only improved in a lot of ways since then as like a shooter and as a sort of like hustle player on defense. He obviously has some defensive limitations, but he tries really hard, and they do not let him play. Um, just get out of the way, John Collins is like seems to be the game plan every night in Atlanta. Um, but yeah, we're just talking about a player that has to make the all-star game entirely on the back of their offense, because we know that they are arguably the worst, but we keep saying arguably like we're being, I think we're being generous when we say he's arguably the worst high minute defensive player in the NBA. Like who's, who else is in competition for that? Like Trey young is a piece of tissue paper there. He, he absolutely has no ability to like physically affect the game on defense. Everyone sort of knows that. So unlike, it's just hard to get a total zero on one side of the ball. And then you're making all your impact on offense and you're having your worst offensive season ever, like since your rookie year, at least. And even then it's sort of like he was a little bit more efficient in his rookie season. So it's just like, I don't really know how to evaluate Trey young. And I kind of, why I'm, I'm sort of wanting to side with some, some players who are just kind of playing normal two-way basketball. Darius Garland might not be piling up the numbers quite as much of him, but he's like not a total zero on defense. He's okay. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. gives you a lot of what Trey young does on offense, maybe not at the same volume because he's sharing the backcourt with Donovan Mitchell. But um, I, I do kind of like, I'm, I'm feeling Darius Garland over Trey right now. Even though Darius Garland has had some yeah. difficulties of his own. I, I've gotten to the point where I no longer consider Trey Young to be the worst defensive player in the NBA. I mean, it, it's really, really bad. Who, who you got? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I test wise for me after watching a few Nuggets games recently, I have a hard time putting anyone below um, Bones Highland. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another small guard who just looks completely lost anytime. Yeah, the man he's supposed to be defending like makes any kind of move. <laughs> so yeah, I mean to um, be to be fair, the entire Nuggets team seems completely lost on defense this year. But if if we want to assign some blame, I'm I'm fine with that. But I just don't know if I quite call Bones yeah. a high like a high minute. Well, player. I don't I don't want to hear any Contavious Caldwell Pope slander. But, uh, <laughs> the rest of the Nuggets team, yeah, it's been yeah. Rough. I think that's been... that's kind of why I, I why I, I sort of agree with you there and that like well i know this player this player and this player in denver is like pretty good so we gotta blame someone and like let's blame bones <laughs> sorry nashawn yeah well i mean the numbers paint him as a horrible defender and i'll just say like out of everyone in the nba um who i've seen this season he stands out he's definitely yeah. not the only small guard who's really bad on defense though i think it's a kind of a yeah. common issue and you know since i'm since i'm like since i keep plugging dunks and threes today i will say that um that bone bones highland by defensive epm is the worst defender in the nba oh who qualifies for minutes so that, must I, be, that, that feels good right <laughs> that's not where i got that from i didn't even check but um no it yeah, makes sense yeah, it lines right. up this this that this that works. Uh, I do. I I am sorry to tell you that um that Shade on Sharp is second. Yeah, I I think Shade on Sharp has the potential to be a pretty good defender though. Like I'm not I'm not worried about Shade on the guy. I'm more yeah. worried about on the Blazers is Anthony Simons defensively. Yeah, um, yeah. As far as like how they project in the future, like Shade on's six seven crazy athlete with long arms. I mean, he's bad on defense because he's 
like a little lost puppy and yeah you know, he took a year off of playing basketball like organized basketball so it makes sense that he yeah really we're not we're not going to pick on the rookies too hard here on the rookies are usually podcast. horrible defensively uh yeah. especially guards especially ones that are coming out of high school <laughs> yeah especially guys who didn't play college yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah i'm i'm, I'm still i mean yeah, I've got Garland over Trey, so for me, it's coming down to Garland versus Ananobi, and I'm just going to have to award, in the tiebreaker here, I'm going to have to award the Cleveland Cavaliers a second All-Star uh, okay. and put uh, Darius Garland in that last wild card spot. Um, I did, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley were also on my, you know, list and received consideration, mm-hmm. especially Jared Allen, but um, didn't didn't quite make the cut this year. Yeah, I've been really impressed with um, Evan Mobley defensively. Although I'm, I will say Evan Mobley has been a little bit disappointing, just kind of like the lack of offensive development between his rookie year and his yeah. sophomore year. And that's just just goes to show that. Well, hopefully, it goes to show that development is not linear, and guys don't necessarily like get a little bit better at every single basketball skill every single off season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he still can't really shoot. Um, he still looks like awkward with the ball in his hands outside of the paint. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a pretty good play finisher. But you hope to see more from that offensively from a guy that you hope to be like the best yeah. player on your team in a couple. He's of made years. some. He's made some small improvements from floater range too. Like he's a little like last year he was pretty bad when he wasn't at the basket or wasn't taking turnarounds in the mid range. He's got a little bit more range on his finishes, which I think makes him a little bit more of a weapon. But I think with, you know, with, with, the, with the two top rookies last year, Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes were kind of like, okay, we see the, the, the insane broadness of this talent. We can imagine kind of any possibility with these players. And we're all wondering, but what way will they develop? Like, you know, and Evan Mobley is like, is he going to improve as a shooter? Is he going to yep. um is he gonna like improve as a as a finisher or a post-up person or a passer? Like what's gonna be his thing? And it is a little bit disappointing in year two that the answer to that is still like, wow, well, we we don't know. Or you know, we'll we'll get back to you on that one. Barnes, yeah. on the other hand, who I did not give any all-star consideration to, um, did has grown yeah, parts yeah. of his games, but he's also just kind of had a, a rockier it's like you know just like naggy injury start to the season. So he's so he's sort of hard to develop, but he didn't improve in like the in any of the, like the big ways that anyone was sort of expecting his passing's a lot better um his shooting's a little bit better um but he's not really being like as, as much of a physical monster as he looked like in his rookie season whether that's injuries or a lack of develop, development is you know something we'll have to look back on later um so we got our East, we got our eastern conference teams did you want to talk about the guys that will be brought up on all the talking head show debates as all-star snubs yeah yeah um, really quick and then we can then we can move on to the west yeah even just give like snubs and other players that you gave serious consideration to just to you know just so yeah, people yeah. listening at home don't get mad that their guy didn't get mentioned i don't like the word snub because if i'm making the list none of these guys is going to be a snub to me right because i <laughs> yeah you had anyway, to be 12 um, people instead of 20 yeah. or 40 <laughs> okay so we went over our all-star starters and our reserves. So really quick for these, before we move on to the West, we're going to go over our guys that were like, you know, we really considered like the last cuts. Right. And I had, I had about six of these guys in the East and um, Ian had 42 of them. Uh, so <laughs> let's, let's go over those guys that were for you. The, the Only like, 39. Toughest. What is this slander? Only 39. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> 
So Trey Young obviously was one, right? Because he kind kind of came down to the wire. But did you have anyone else? Yeah. So I mean, we'll, we'll Trey and Ananobi not making the team at the last second. Uh, Porzingis, Lopez, and Bam Adebayo as these as these big big men that didn't uh, quite make the cut. Some sort of surprise considerations. Uh, I mentioned Jared Allen, uh, Julius Randle as low key. Yeah. Been the best Nick, and he's re- his play has really picked up lately, and I think he deserves a mention. He's had a he's had a big bounce back season this year. Yeah, on the same token of of really unpopular uh, players who play uh, in New York, uh, Kyrie Irving has sneakily got up to twenty two oh, games okay. now and is yeah. and is playing Kyrie Irving basketball. I'm going to cut it off there. I did not consider Demar Derozan. I'm I'm, I'm call me a uh-huh. hater. James Harden uh, is was the another guard that I considered didn't get there. Jalen Jalen Brunson I looked at. Fred Van Vliet I looked at. Clint Capella I looked at, and Deontay Murray. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I looked at a lot of those guys as well. Um, the only guy I'll mention, I well, first of all, I will mention Demar Derozan. Like, I I know the defense is bad. I know he can't shoot. I know that the advanced numbers don't necessarily love Demar, but um, Zach Levine's been really bad this year. Yep, coming off of what was it foot a foot surgery? He had some kind of foot thing this summer, and then I think Vucevic has just been wildly disappointing ever since he's been in Chicago. Uh, Patrick Williams hasn't developed as much as Bulls fans had hoped. And um, Lonzo Ball continues to be out and is just now progressing towards running. That's the uh, latest report. So Lonzo Ball cannot currently run, but he's getting there. I mean, that's yeah, kind of a that's, so that's kind of a promising update, considering like we had heard that he was struggling to walk upstairs a couple weeks ago. So yeah, being able to run is, I think, quite a quite a leap. Pardon the pun. Um, yeah, forward from that. But the one other guy I will mention, and he has missed a lot of games, and he is a horrible defender, and the on-off numbers don't love him, but it's uh, Bradley Beal, who I, I still want to say he's the best player in Washington. And I know like Kuzma's having a better two-way season as far as like trade targets go. Teams are probably looking to Washington more to try to trade for Kyle Kuzma, more so than Bradley Beal. Well, um, contract wise, yeah, definitely. Contract wise, and I think just like team fit wise, um, you can only really have yeah, damn. But you can only really have one small guard on a team, right? Where you can yeah. you can load yourself up with as many big two way wings as you want. But I I still wanted to give Brad Bill some consideration. He's still a very effective offensive player when he's on the floor. Yeah, he's kind of toned oh. it down in terms of shooting the ball this year, and like his his defense isn't as bad. I think Brad Bill's been solid. He's just like. You know, he's played 19 games and with Porzingis yeah. and Kuzma playing at sort of similar levels and just like uh, Porzingis being the defender there. I just thought he was the he was the wizard that I was most interested in when when reviewing them. Well, my big thing this year is like I, I just don't really care about injuries anymore, especially after like probably most people listening to this listen to other NBA podcasts as well. But there's so much consternation last year around all star picks when it came to games played. And it just, yeah. it got really annoying as a listener, you know, Yeah. every single list people are making, they have to mention injuries, especially like a lot of stars missed a ton of games early in the season last year, yeah. injury or, or rest or whatever. So I just got to the point where like, I don't, I don't care. You know, if a guy's played half the season and I feel like he's clearly a better player than another guy, I'm going to put him on my all-star team. Like it's I, fine. I, I agree with you. And, and also felt that in a lot of those 
podcasts, you'd see them punish one player for it and not another. Like, you know, one person making the picks would be like, it would be like, well, I can't put him on his team because he's missed blah, blah, blah games. And then just not mention it for another guy who's missed the exact same amount of games. Sometimes the other host catches it and, and calls them out. And then they're just yeah. like, oh, guess you're right sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I put some like stars on some guys that have missed like a lot, a lot of games, but still give them consideration. Yeah. And, and Bradley Beal is one of those. And you put James Harden on the team with 15 games played. So I think we've established a pretty low basement for that. Well, it's it's a tiebreaker, right? Like, so yeah. if in my opinion, James Harden and um, Bradley Beal were identical levels of players, well, maybe Bradley Beal's not a good example because he hasn't played a lot. But if yeah. James Harden and Jalen Brunson, in my opinion, were the exact same level of player and Jalen Brunson's played every game and James Harden has missed half the games, I would yeah. go with Jalen Brunson. But I totally get it. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. I, I feel the same. Yeah, I also considered Jalen Brunson. I I really wanted him to put out put him on an All Star team. Just like he's been so awesome to watch this year. Yeah, um, yeah, it is fun. I just I I really enjoy Jalen Brunson's game, and I didn't think I did as much on the Mavs when he was playing more of like. Yeah, a, I feel I feel you were a little bit of a hater early on in it, but I've yeah. been up and down with him as well. Like I liked him when he was plucky, and then felt he got a little overrated in the playoffs. Um, but to me, he's like he's he's thick Tony Parker. Without some, with a uh, without some of the glaring uh, glaring problems that Parker had, he's a little bit better as a shooter and a mm. little bit stronger as a defender. Um, not that he's great at either of those things, but uh, just uh, this guy that can really get into the paint and can kill as, you. As far as, as far as we know, he hasn't slept with any of his teammates' wives. That's true. So yeah, started. yeah. As far as we know, that's <laughs> yeah. huge. Um, okay. On that, on that note, let's, let's uh, go west. Let's, let's get into our Western Conference. Yeah. Speaking of players that have slept with their teammates' wives, let's head to the Western Conference. Okay, I'll let you start off this time. Who do you have as your Western Conference starters? So I went the sort of opposite route in terms of front court uh problems versus backcourt problems where i'm cramming on a whole bunch of guards here because i just feel like the west is really struggling in the front court especially with um some of the smaller front court players so i've got yeah. um i've got steph curry Nikola Jokic, and luka Doncic. um those three are absolute locks like i just feel like especially statistically those are the three best players in the nba almost any way you slice it right now uh and then filling that out i've got shy gilgis alexander and Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis just went down for injury, and we don't exactly know when he'll come back. So that does sort of put a bit of a downer on that pick. But um, yeah, does he have enough of a cushion over some of these guys? We'll mention in, in, in a sec. Like right now, I'm just going to say Anthony Davis because I I don't know how the next twenty games are going to play out. And he's had a he's had a monster season defensively. Mm-hmm. He's the best offensive player in the yep. Lakers. Um, it's just like I feel like yep. I want to put him on the list right now. We'll see what. Well, the best player on the Lakers too. He's also by far their best defensive player. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Didn't think, ways. didn't think that needed needed mentioning. I thought the offensive one yeah. could be potentially. At least there's a discussion there. But defensively, he's the only defensive player on the Lakers. Depending on how how yeah. into Austin Reeves you are, <laughs> defensively, how into Troy Brown Jr. you are, defensively. <laughs> yeah, it starts to get a little bit sketchy there. Um, yeah, we we have a couple different picks for the for the starters already one of mine one of mine is very much projection based so i'll try to justify that but so first of all i didn't i put luca as a guard um i think the voters will consider him a guard for the most part um so i have luca and curry um and curry himself is going to miss the next three to four weeks hopefully it's true yeah good point no more than that um but i do think like curry's been so far and away a top two guard in the western conference um i mean devin booker and and SGA are having awesome seasons in their own right, but I do think Curry is 
uh, pretty clearly a top two choice there. So I have him there, assuming he comes back from injury and picks up where he left off. But then with the forwards, because I didn't have a third guard, uh, I have Zion in uh, in with the starters in the West. I have Jokic. <laughs> and then um, for my projection... Point Zion, we'll call him for this. Oh yeah, you could you could call Zion a guard, but then that makes things really weird. <laughs> I'm you just have guards. <laughs> <laughs> I did not put Anthony Davis in my with my starters, even though I think he's been clearly a top three forward in the West so far this year. I actually have LeBron. Um, and the reason why is because I think LeBron is going to basically average a triple double with Anthony Davis out. Okay. So this is a Russell Westbrook MVP pick. Yeah. I mean, I think um LeBron has been tailing off defensively the past couple of years his shooting efficiency hasn't been where you'd want it to be this year i think with davis out lebron is going to play more play more for uh there is going to be more space for him to attack the basket even in his diminished athletic state um with anthony davis out of there so i think that will help his case i don't know i'd like i feel like i'm really i'm really reaching for stuff here it's just for me, I worry with Anthony Davis that like he started out the season really slow and then he kind of like found this new role when he was the five and he was playing great when there was no other big sharing the floor on him because Anthony Davis is so dominant in the paint. And it didn't take very long before he got injured. So I just worry that he's either A, not going to return to that same role uh, for fear of injury and Lakers trying to preserve his body um, or B, he's not going to return to playing as well i just think that you could say all those things you just said about anthony davis more so about lebron lebron got injured first for starts lebron had an even slower start to the season he was shooting like 22 percent from three before he remembered how to shoot early on yeah uh offensively he is more reliant on not having a big next to him like we're going to go back to the lakers last year when they played lebron as a small ball center and went all out to have like a halfway credible offense but at the total sacrifice of um of playing any defense they're just going to be the worst defense in the nba for the next two weeks that's sort of my projection sort of going out where i'm really going with this in terms of our description i I think that you can have anthony davis as the only big on your roster and sort of get by i think when you do it with lebron it's just it's a clown show it's like yeah it's going to be fun he's going to pile up monster points and still yeah maybe he'll average 30 points and a triple double but the lakers are going to be awful and i think this is going to sink their season i think anthony davis is by far the most crucial player and i do not have lebron james on my all-star team at all interesting I mean, we don't exactly have a glut of forward options to pick from. No, that, that's true. Um, he, he came really close. Like, I thought LeBron was going to be on the team. It's like, well, well, when we get into our bench forwards, I'll make the cases for the for the um, players I have over him. But, like, even though LeBron's stats look, like, close enough to what they've looked like in previous years, like, again, under, there's a lot of, like, mm-hmm. efficiency problems under the hood. He's not making the overall statistical impact of, like, a top 20 player anymore. Like, he's, he's, he's surprised. Like, the guys that I have above him – are statistically superior players and the Lakers don't have a wins thing going on. And I can't counter with like, well, LeBron's a better defender than these other players. Cause he's not anymore. He's a, he's, he, he's still a bit of a defensive playmaker and a smart player, but he also like those, those little gaps where LeBron would find ways to take breaks from seasons past are now like very large chunks of the game where he sort of doesn't participate like there's still he's gotten better as a season that's gone on but he started this season as someone who is only interested in chasing the scoring record and he's only gotten a little bit better than that still look like a star still a borderline all-star to me but he just Mm. didn't he's probably actually i've got my whole like three guys for one spot thing later and lebron is in that group so maybe there is a small chance he 
he makes this well team. so so here's my final case um yeah. anthony davis has been better than lebron so far this year no question but anthony davis kind of sucked by his standards the first 10 games that he played for the lakers this year yeah yeah and then they started stopped slow. playing him alongside of five and he started to be dominant you know he had that game where he like arguably outplayed Giannis, <laughs> yeah. and um but we've been Lakers asking him to be a five for Milwaukee. years yeah he's finally and did it like that lasted for about 15 games so like my worry is this 15 game stretch is the only stretch this entire season we're going to see that version of 80 yeah and if that's the case i don't want him starting on the all-star team now like if he comes back from being out for the next month and he returns picks right back up where he left off and you know continues basically averaging like you know 30 and 10 up until the all-star break then like sure yeah i'll take ad i just i guess i could see a world in where he comes back and he's you know averaging 22 again on mediocre efficiency and and not being a game-changing defensive player in the way that he has been and lebron averages you know 30 11 and 9 over the next month so yeah I just think over That's these, my final case over these 20 ish games, it's, it's funny. Cause I was thinking like, we're almost doing the inverse of what we said about like you picked bam and I picked Jimmy and now we're kind of switching those yeah. two things. Like you're picking the old uh, broken down guy who's saving it for when it matters. <laughs> and I'm picking like the, the workhorse two way big man. <laughs> so yeah, we were yeah. I was complaining about the, about other podcasts, not being consistent with their games played, but, but look at us, look at us. <laughs> we're inconsistent well, in other for- ways. It's not the injury for me with AD. It's more the worry that the injury is going to cause him to not come back and be the same player. Yeah, yeah. But I don't um, like until that happens. I just have Anthony Davis as like the be all end all right now in in LA. Like I just don't. I think with Anthony Davis, they're kind of a real team. Without him, they're not. And and LeBron is not as important anymore because he's not carrying that defensive impact. He can he can pile up numbers and also generate yeah. like um generate some amount of offense i think lebron with four other players on the court is a is a is an nba offense unto itself but um i don't think it, it goes further than that where i think like anthony davis gives them the defense they need to be uh, to make a playoff push anyways let's go into it. we got both we got both our starters locked in yeah. there you've got yep. you've got Jokic, lebron zion luca curry and I I've, don't know how strongly I feel about LeBron. Can I uh can I move <laughs> uh can I move Doncic over to be a forward? <laughs> I mean I did, so I can't tell you you can't. Yeah, I mean starting LeBron uh, over over Luca just doesn't feel great. Even even if we're not allowed to make Luca forward, I have no idea. On this podcast, Luca is positionless. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if I may, I'll, I'll I would bump LeBron down to the bench and uh slide Doncic over and then um move SGA into that starting lineup. Yeah. I like the I like the Zion pick. I've I've got Le, LeBron's basically one, two, three, four, five, six. LeBron is my, my seventh, like he's seventh on the front court player rankings for me in the West. Just in case anyone okay. thinks that I'm a total hater, I'm only a kind of hater. Um, let's go into your let's go into your um, bench players in the West. Sure. You've already mentioned okay. LeBron and not Luca. So who else we got there? A lot of a lot no, of, I have Luca in the starters. Here. Oh yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. You got you, you got Luca in the starters instead of LeBron. So now who are the other guards? Well save the forwards for last because it's like a I, I'm weirder. just gonna say what I had because it's hard to kind of like shuffle the deck on the mm. fly like this and and move things around because I have we all shuffled down. But okay, so for the second platoon of guys, shall we say, I have uh Devin Booker, SGA, Anthony Davis, Paul George, and Demontis Sabonis. Okay. See, give me those guards again. I just, I, I missed that. Devin Booker and SGA. 
Okay, so no jaw. Oh, we well, we got, haven't we, gotten we you're, right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. My bad. I got, so I've got, um, for my two guards off the bench, I've got Booker and Jaw. Okay. And, and that's my, with SGA in the starting lineup. Yeah. And then for my three front court spots, I've got Sabonis having a monster okay. year. Like, I can't like, yep. I, like I, he's, he's great. I love watching Sabonis. It's so fun. But the mix of the just like, completely if you put a small ball center out there against sacramento just sabonis automatically is just going to shoot six for six from the field <laughs> like yeah. and, and and make you change your strategy like it's an absolute non-option against him he's so strong down there i saw him just completely obliterate nicholas claxton just made nicholas claxton look like a high school player or something like that like it was just not fair i haven't seen someone get bullied that much since i like you know played against grown men as like a 13 year old or something anyways zion's yeah. in there as well and then yeah. my uh lowry markinen is my i know that utah's been sagging but lowry's play has has kept up i think he is sneakily one of the better defenders in utah um, and has been their best player. And the the early success of Utah was one of the fun parts of the story. And I want to celebrate that with this all-star pick. Averaging 22 points per game, eight rebounds per game, two assists, sneakily playing good defense, shooting insanely efficient from everywhere, just on fire. Yeah. So no Paul George. He's in my wild cards. Okay. So we'll get to Paul George, I guess. Yeah. Um, But in essence, we can say like that last, so LeBron's not on the team, but in essence, you bumped paul george down to the wild cards for the sake of getting lauren markinen on the team yeah i mean i can swap those two around i don't, I don't have strong feelings about that i think markinen has played like a few more games i think i think statistically they're very i've got like the EPM chart up there they're literally 0.1 away from each other um probably value yeah. paul george's uh, paul george is a better defensive player i think lauren markinen is a more efficient uh shooter and has shouldered the offense better than george has but i'm i could go Either way with that. That's Markinen's been a little healthier too. Um, well, I, I guess I shouldn't say healthier because like with Paul George, it's not health, right? It's it's resting back to yeah. backs, but yeah. at least hopefully he, No, he was out he was out for, with legitimate injury for a minute. Um Okay. Just for a couple of games. Yeah. But over Paul the George. past few seasons, he, Paul George has missed a bunch of time due to injury. So Yeah, he's played twenty two games this year. Lowry's played thirty, so I guess that's why I'm giving him a little micro nod there i could see that yep just tiebreaker lowry's played a little bit more been a little bit more efficient of an offensive player this season so he's also still just like he's the he's the by far the best player on a top five offense in a in an absolutely loaded year for nba offenses utah is still fourth and and lowry is like at the center of that for the same reason like on my long long list i looked at jordan clarkson for a minute yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say with Paul George is I do think there's a, a little bit of a higher degree of difficulty with the offense that he's producing over Utah is just due to like how little ball movement the Clippers offense has, how little rim pressure the Clippers offense has. Like, I don't know. I don't get the, I I don't say get the Clippers. We've like avoided talking to them in podcasts and I just like <laughs> find them too depressing. Even now, like they're winning, so they're not depressing, but I still find watching the games to be like a bit of a struggle. You say those things, but like also like, they do have some like they they should have rim pressure you know they got John Wall they got um they've got Zubach they've got like like you know Norm Powell drive in there every now and then like they just it it feels like they're playing as bad as they possibly can on offense on purpose sometimes like what if we just kind of did nothing on offense except like pass it around a little bit and shoot um it just anyways but but Paul George is the you know they're 
number one offensive player of the 29th ranked offense in the NBA. So I'm not super uh, excited about that for him. That being said, he's like a much better two-way player than Lowry Markin and has a much longer track record of success. Yeah, the Clippers just, Paul George shoots a lot of threes. Kawhi does a lot of his work out of, well, either from three-point range or the mid-range when he's playing. Um, you know, they have John Wall now, but historically they just haven't really had a lot of it aggressive attacking guards yeah and that continues to be a problem so yeah but yeah look this this is not a segment on the uh the clippers offensive yeah. woes um so yeah i thought that was interesting that you had Sabonis as well but he has been um incredible offensively this year so i think me and you both kind of keyed in on that i think he should be like i think he should be a lock like especially because as we've sort of talked about especially with that oh i think we've got some technical difficulties here we're back and yeah, I think, I think Sabonis should be basically a lock. Like the only way I see that Sabonis is not a lock. If you're just like, it's all, if, if it's all about uh, De'Aaron Fox for you and that's who you want to assign more credit to. But I mean, Sabonis is averaging 18 and 12 with 6.4 assists. Like he's like Nikola Jokic or something like that. He's shooting 62% from the field, 65% on all two point shots. Um, he doesn't shoot threes a lot but he's shooting 40 percent from three on an attempt per game and just like and again like he he can just so automatically nullify a team that tries to go small like 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 mm-hmm. essentially like only players like like he does it better than like joel Embiid does like joel Embiid, you can actually fluster a little bit by you know triple teaming him and he's not a very good passer so like sabonis is very proactive with his passing and can offer a similar level of bully ball and it just like it's 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 uh, mean. I think it's driving a lot of the success in in Sacramento. Yeah, I I love watching Sabonis play. And as a small anecdote here, Sabonis was really um. But John Stockton was before my time. But at least during my my life of being a Gonzaga basketball fan, Sabonis yeah. was our first like really standout talent that we had ever had. Um, mm. And yes, uh, I'm gonna put him over like Kelly Olynyk. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna but, ask like, about Kelly Olynyk. I'm not Kelly getting all star consideration. <laughs> No, Kelly Olynyk was clearly an NBA player, but like Sabonis was the first guy we had ever had where we were like, wow, this guy's like special, you know, he's unstoppable. Yeah. And he wasn't, he's not like a massive human being, you know, but like the way that he dominates is just like, so like technically proficient. Like he just, yeah. he has the body control and he can do the, like kind of the drop step and, you know, put guys in a spin cycle. And he just like, so clearly is like very refined um, in his post game in a way that you almost never see anymore these days. And it's yeah. just, it was a joy to watch when he was in college. And it's a joy to watch this year in the NBA. He's really like, uh, he's really thriving this year and shooting the ball better than he has in the past from the outside, which really complements what he's yeah. doing. We'll see if that holds up, but not like it's the be all end all of the game, but it's certainly a nice compliment. Um, so who are your wild cards? Well, just because of the the way I did things, um, I had a couple more guards that are deserving of an all-star nod, but I didn't have space for yet. So I have John Morant and Damian Lillard as my last two all-star picks. Gotcha. And I've got Paul George, as I mentioned, and um, Desmond Bain is my last wild card okay. pick. It's kind of flown, it's, it's flown like a little bit under the radar, I feel, but he's just having an insane season just putting up 24 points per game five assists five rebounds and again shooting 45 percent from three just has been on a heater the whole year um yeah and is driving a lot of the success in memphis and memphis is currently the number one seed in the west we know that could change in a couple days but but uh for for right now really tough cuts for me 
Um, I, re I realized I don't, I, I already got to 12 guys, so I don't have this three guys for one spot, but I thought I did when I counted wrong. And that was uh, Damian Lillard, De'Aaron Fox and LeBron James. And I was going to go Damian Lillard. He's played the least games of those three guys, but Dame, when he has played, has been back to, you know, like borderline MVP candidate Dame. So uh, that is a, yeah. that's a very tough cut for me and he'd be the first injury replacement well yeah i gave i gave desmond bain a slight nod over over lillard and and, and part of that is just a a games played and team success tiebreaker sort of thing no why did i say that desmond bain hasn't played at all i might i might switch that up he Damian lillard has played more <laughs> on the fly editing yeah. yeah dame hasn't missed a lot of time dame's had a couple injuries already early early on this year but both injuries he was only out like three or yeah. four games for each he had an ankle I, injury and then something else yeah I think I don't think I quite realized how small the sample size was. I thought that I thought that um, Bain was at over twenty games right now, but he's played a few less, and that makes me. It also like twelve games of being on fire is like not. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna switch things up and go with the track record of success here and put Dame Lillard as the last wild card on my team with with Desmond Bain next in line. Okay. Yeah. Any fun snubs you want to talk about? Because I've got one that I think is well, fun and probably not on a lot of people's list. The hardest player for me to cut, um, Desmond Bain's a good one, you know, and I, I probably didn't consider him as much as I should have. The one that I would have loved to put on my all-star team and I just didn't quite face for was uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, that, that's a that's a big games play one, right? Like he's played, what, seven games so far? Yeah, and the offensive stats don't leap off the page, but the Grizzlies like legitimately suck on defense without him, and they yeah. are well, they they have a defensive rating of one hundred five with him on the floor, which would be the best defense in the NBA. So, and it's and, um, and it shows like it's not it's not a subtle thing happening in the background. Like Jaron Jackson Jr. is, I think he had like five blocks in a quarter recently, like the first quarter, just like I, I, yeah. I he just blocked everything. Like he's he's so yeah. mobile and so long, and it is it is wild. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I oh no, the he's, reason he's, I played, he's played thirteen games. He's He's getting he's he's played one more game than Desmond Bain has. What am I doing? Chris Vernon, who's a massive Memphis Grizzlies fan, made a point that uh, made me really consider J.R. Jackson strongly because I I weigh offense more heavily than defense for All Star, like of course, because that's where the stats come from, right? And yeah, I mean, in general, guys offense get paid more for heavily. <laughs> yeah, for in general, guys get paid for their offense more than their defense. But like Jaron Jackson is just such an insane player. So like. I think um, there's a discussion on Evan Mobley and they're talking about like, like what Evan Mobley projects to be in the next few years. And, yeah. and Chris Vernon was just like, Oh, you mean like what Jaron Jackson is right now? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think because there's things that Jaron Jackson jr. AKA trip, AKA the block Panther. Um, oh, this is a basketball reference nicknames. <laughs> no, let me see. Well, maybe uh, I don't have this page up, but I, I do like I do like both those nicknames a lot, regardless of whether they come up on. Yeah, oh no, they only have JJJ, Triple and, J, and then Block Panther. and Block Panther. But I like I like Trip for short. One of the reasons I think people were quick to put Evan Mobley above Jaron Jackson Jr. was that Jaron Jackson's uh, shooting had just really tailed off, and there's like still this hope that Evan Mobley will be able to shoot, but that hasn't happened yet. They're more like projecting based on potential. I will say like Evan Mobley yeah. is less of a rim protector. Um, but yeah. is a lot more disciplined 
as a defender early on in his career, like Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm -hmm. took a long time to start making this level of impact because he could not stay on the floor and was just like yep. a foul monster with very little discipline. Evan Mobley has superior foot speed. Um, he's a, He looks a little bit more comfortable operating with the ball in his hands and in the, in the post and the mid post sort of area. He's a better passer. So I, I get that idea. You're talking about like, you know, super mobile shutdown defender, but they actually are pretty different players i think in that mm -hmm. mobley's not that same kind of you know swooping rim protecting presence but he's a lot more solid and smart and has better balance and foot speed um jaron jackson jr is shooting the ball really well this year but that's been very up and down in his career like he he was you know down in the 20s for a minute there and is like you know then shot 31 percent last year he, there's something a little bit sloppy about jaron jackson jr on offense like a lot of his motions yeah. he, like it's I, like i used to be like oh well, he's like he's gangly and he's skinny but now it's like I think you, I, I kind of even liked the shooting motion a little bit with how he kind of like, it was almost like a gigantic Steph Curry with his super low, super quick release, but it just looks sloppy mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Like, like he's just sort of flingy and he needs to like tighten some stuff up and he'll attack the rim with a crazy abandon when it's like not a good idea to do so. He's a zero as a playmaker where Evan Mobley is like a, like a pretty good passer already. Jared Jackson is like a negative all, like as a playmaker like it's just not good when the ball's in his hands when he's not in finishing position so i don't quite agree with chris vernon on that point but i do think that people should yeah for, I, forget about trip i think he was more talking about defensive impact more than trying yeah. to compare them as players yeah, yeah the, the player that i like to compare evan mobley to is more of a defensive comparison than offensive comparison is more like robert williams oh um, interesting where he can he, he can defend like every position on the floor really effectively as well as be a really good uh, weak side defender, but that's not like his bread and butter necessarily. Yeah. I'm not giving up on the Evan Mobley is the, is the next KG comparisons, but his second year, not kind of blowing up is a little bit disappointing for those. Well, I mean, defensively he can be like, for sure. He's already on the way. It's, it's more just a question of like, can he do enough when you put the ball in his hands? Yeah. Um, but maybe um, if you have two really dynamic offensive guards in the team, you don't need him to be KG yeah. to yeah. still be a contending team. Yeah. Because I mean, KG never quite had that. Yeah. Evan Mobley certainly has it better with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell than KG uh, ever had it minus one year of mid 30s, Sam Cassell and Latrell Sprewell. But, um, but I digress. I've got one other snub that I don't think anyone is going to, consider a snub but as i was sort of like digging into things and looking for guys who qualified um i took a long hard look at aaron gordon um okay. and this is uh partly just because there's not a lot of good forwards in the west this year and some of the good forwards yeah. have been injured like brandon ingram has been really amazing but hasn't like played very much um you know towns has been like Minnesota's disappointing and Towns has been injured. Uh, you know, you can, and like, no one wants, no one's going to give Minnesota an all-star this year. Like, so go bear, go, go is just sort of like forgotten about until he's anchoring a top five defense. I, but, I strongly consider Anthony Edwards. He's been really good lately. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's been up and down, but he's been a big part of the problems over there too, as someone who watches too many Minnesota games, like his decision-making is a problem and his shooting is inconsistent and his defense is inconsistent. Like, I just don't think he's quite mm. there. He definitely is in consideration. I think he was my like, all right, like him, him and CP were my next two guards on the list, but uh, all three of those wolves like get all-star consideration. I just don't think any of them got over the hump, but Aaron Gordon yeah. is shooting 17, I'm sorry, he's averaging 17 points per game. 
six rebounds. He's shooting 61% from the field and almost 40% from three, as well as like getting to line four times a game, um, not turning the ball over really at all. And it's just sort of like uh, still their most important overall defender there, even as like chaos happens all around them. Like, I don't really know what's happening with Denver's defense. Um, that's definitely something to keep an eye on as the, as yeah. the year goes over. Like their defensive problems, are, like unlike it's not even a structural thing. Like they just make more mistakes than anyone else is doing mm-hmm. in the NBA. At least yeah, in terms they of like just they teams. just they just lose shooters. They just lose cutters. They just yeah have guys kind of running amok and no one to really. I mean, they, there's two smart, impactful defenders on the team, and you know it's it's Aaron Gordon and it's KCP. Hey, and, shut up, Bruce Brown. I mean, I'm, I'm also going to give a nod to him. I also think Nikola oh, yeah, Jokic that's, is, a, that's is, true. A, is a smart defender. Positionally, yeah, but he doesn't like necessarily like the Nuggets are. I don't know if they're still the bottom in the NBA, but they have been the bottom in the NBA in terms of like defending the rim. So, like Jokic does provide some value defensively, but he doesn't provide like rim protection, which is what you'd hope to achieve from your center uh, or yeah. your power forward. I guess in the in the in the case of like you know the Memphis Grizzlies, what they do with Triple J, but the Nuggets don't have anyone who fulfills that role on the team. So. Well, you owe them a big apology because they are only second last in rim defense <laughs> by 0.7%. The, the New Orleans Pelicans, who are a very good defense oh, yeah. this year, mm-hmm. which is pretty pretty wild. But yeah, they're giving up 67% at the rim, which is, that's atrocious. That is, yeah. that is very bad. The Pelicans are better than the Nuggets at preventing people from getting to the rim. Yeah, um, they have more nuggets. length overall. <laughs> The Nuggets can't stop anyone from getting to the rim or finishing when they get there. So, um, yeah, there's nothing good happening with the Nuggets defense. But and I'm not nominating Aaron Gordon for the for the All Star team, but I think he's low key been the second best player on um, on the second best team in the West until Jamal Murray can yeah can ramp it up or MPJ can come back. I think Aaron Gordon has just been like the rock holding things together. Not just def- like obviously he's their best defender, but um, he's been operating as the best you know Jokic finisher which is a really crucial part of that offense and um and just being more solid than he's been the last couple of years offensively so shout yeah. out I mean Eric Gordon I don't know how low-key it is um MPJ keeps getting hurt he is a still a very good shooter when he's on the floor but doesn't yeah. really play much defense and then yeah Jamal Murray also is terrible on the defensive end and has been solid offensively this year but you know not hasn't quite reached the heights that we were hoping for yeah just the last tough cuts for me, um, Larry Markinen, obviously, uh, you know, the clear best forward that I didn't have actually making the all-star team. Uh, I also had uh, Mikhail Bridges was probably the other forward I considered most strongly over Aaron Gordon. Um, he's not necessarily having the standout offensive season. I was hoping he would step up a little bit more, um, but it's more been DeAndre Ayton, who, who's been that guy who's produced a little bit more with Chris Paul being out um and you know Devin Booker's ascension from like what would you call him like top 20 player into like borderline top 10 player this year yeah but Mikhail Burgess is still you know the best perimeter defender on the team still very very good and then offensively as well for the guards I had uh Fox uh Anthony Edwards and CJ McCollum CJ CJ made my list but like the shooting woes are are what they are. I thought about CP3, Anthony Edwards. I thought about Anthony Simons. He was <laughs> he was just shaking the head. Oh, by the way, congratulations! Dame Lillard became the uh, the all time leading, leading Blazer scorer. That's a that's a big yeah. deal. The Blazers are not like a expansion franchise or something like that. Like they've been around a no, while. No, they've been around. That's, 
that's that's a big deal. So shout out Dame. Uh, yeah, and for Simons was on my list, even though yeah, like he's still doing offensively. Like uh, he's beating out a lot of these other guards in this role, even if he's yeah like a total garbage defender. I have Michael Bridges too. I think also DeAndre Ayton deserves mm-hmm. um, a big nod for what he's been doing in Phoenix. Jaron Jackson Jr., Towns, and Gobert, Jeremy Grant, another another Blazer who I think uh, merits some attention andrew wiggins got injured but um i did think that he was a borderline all-star this year yeah i think jeremy grant has kind of found his happy place in portland um he was what like relegated to like the fourth option when he was in denver and he was yeah. like having this you know clear there are clear signs that he was breaking out beyond the player that he was in oklahoma city and he could handle more and he wasn't going to do that in denver although i would bet denver really wishes they had him now yeah. Um, and then in Detroit, he was just kind of like overmatched, right? Like he he shouldn't be your number one or number two scoring option. But he's I think he works really well in Portland being kind of like the 2.5, you know, second or third option, depending on the night between him and Simons. But yeah, he's been he's been excellent for us. And, and allows you to keep some size and length on the floor. So it's not like a complete constant c- catastrophe on defense, even though it still is mostly a catastrophe on defense in in Portland this year. Yeah, I'm not going to put that on Jeremy Grant, though. No. Um, I mean, I think the biggest culprit, I think the biggest culprit for that has to be, I mean, I don't know, like, it, it's easy to say the guards, we we do not have a good defensive backcourt, like, no question about that. Um, but I, I do think that, and also, like, Gary Payton, you know, still has has yet to play yet. He's supposed yeah. to be our best perimeter defender. Um, but yeah, like, Nurkic just isn't quite the same impact guy that he used to be. Yeah. Gary Payton's almost back, so... Let's let's hope. Yeah. Hopefully that that helps a little bit to some extent. Uh, and yeah, that's why we gave him all this. Guys? Yeah, that's <laughs> why we gave him all this money to poach poach him away from the Warriors. Is you're supposed yeah. to like you know solve this issue of not being able to defend small perimeter players that we've had forever, but have yet to see it. Um, yeah, I mean that was that was about it for me. Um, so just to summarize everything as best we can, in the East, Simon's picks are Donovan Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton in the backcourt, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, and Giannis Antetokounmpo up front, with Trey Young and James Harden backing up those guards, Pascal Siakam, Joel Embiid, and Jalen Brown in the front court, and the two wild cards are Drew Holiday and Bam Adebayo. To contrast, Ian's picks are Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt. Um, I tried to get all four front court guys of Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. But if I had to be a little, if I had to have a little bit more integrity, I guess I would put Embiid in the backups and bring Jeru Holiday into my starting lineup to get that guard in there. My other guards are Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen Brown. My other front court guides are Jimmy Butler and Siakam with Embiid there. Um, Darius Garland is my wild card, and contrary to what I was saying earlier, I do have one more spot, so OG Ananobi is making that team. Moving over to the Western Conference, after lots of consternation over whether uh, LeBron James is going to start, I guess to stick to the rules, we're going to put Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, Zion Williamson, LeBron James, and Nikola Jokic in Simon's starting lineup. Backup guards, Devin Booker and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Backup frontcourt players, Anthony Davis, Paul George, and Domantas Sabonis with the wild cards there being Damian Lillard and Ja Morant. And my Western Conference picks are, you know, after lots of, lots of confusion there, I'm going to put Luka and Shai in the backcourt with Zion, Jokic, and Sabonis in the frontcourt. So I'm going to move the injured Curry and Davis into those backup positions. 
Joining them will be Lowry Markinen, Paul George, Devin Booker, and my wild cards are also Damian Lillard and Ja Morant. Yeah, like for me, the hardest guys were guys like OG Ananobi or Jaron Jackson Jr., where they're just like clearly such difference makers defensively, but they don't quite have the same offensive production as all-star, like guys that you know, are clearly going to be on the all-star team and most likely they're going to appear on a lot of ballots. Um, yeah. Still, I'm still not sure what to do with those guys. And maybe I should just go with my gut and put them on the team and, and cut someone who's averaging 23 points a game, but <laughs> do it. I don't know. I'm not, it, it's hard. I, it's hard to like overcome tradition like that. We here at the underhand free throw want to uh, wish you a very good uh, all-star voting season. And for you to put a defensive player on and cut someone averaging 23 points per game. <laughs> maybe next year we'll get there yeah all right thanks for listening we will uh see you next time